Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to another off-season interview series on Fantasy Football Today, DFS. Today, we welcome another fantasy football expert. His name is Jared Smola at Smola DS. Uh, Jared, how are you? Thanks for coming on to the show. Yeah, glad to be on with you. Um, you know, pumped, pumped to talk some football. We were talking before the show. I'm a big fan of your golf content, but it'll you know, be fun to do a little crossover here and talk some football. Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that, by the way. And, and for those of you that are listening, you know, we have done a lot of game theory throughout this summer, talking a, a lot of just how to play DFS and things of that nature. We've shifted. You noticed last week we had Chris Towers. We were talking just pure football. We um, Last week was the undervalued and sleeper type players that maybe we want to pay attention to from a DFS standpoint. Obviously, there's crossover there with, you know, redraft leagues and, you know, dynasty leagues and all of that stuff. So, Jared, I'll tell you, we have now moved to really talking like football and talking players. And that's why I wanted to bring you on because, you know, I follow you on Twitter. I think you're great. I think your content is great. Every day you're pumping out tweets that are extremely relevant, not just to redraft and dynasty, but also to daily fantasy as far as I'm concerned. So um, thank you for coming on to the show. Let me ask you before we get started, what are you doing now for Draft Sharks? You, you work for Draft Sharks. Tell, tell us what you do there. I do a little bit of everything, honestly, because we're, we're a small company. It's just me and a few other guys, uh, full-timers. We have a handful of part-time analysts as well. But um, it, it's nice because we just do football. So we are you know, laser-focused on football 365 days a year, um, which is nice. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I have my hand in everything, I guess. I, I kind of head up the projections for the site, but you know, fuel our, our rankings both for your drafts and for um, you know, your weekly start-sit questions. But I'm, you know, doing content i'm on the draft sharks podcast we have a youtube channel um so yeah i, I kind of have to do it all well that's perfect well i'm glad i'm glad you're on the show i should have led with what we're talking about with Jared today it's fresh faces in new places and as you might deduce from that we're talking about guys that have moved teams they're, they're wearing different helmets they're wearing different uniforms and i kind of wanted to ask jared about some of these players especially some of the more high profile players in terms of how they might impact this upcoming season how 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 that shift from team to team is going to impact them, whether it's downward or upward. So I wanted to start with one of the marquee names at one of the marquee positions, Jared, Russell Wilson. Obviously, everybody knows he went from the Seahawks and now is on the Broncos, has quite a few receivers to choose from. And I guess you could have said the same at Seattle, but, you know, mm -hmm. I, I mean, there's to me, there's at least four receivers that he has at his disposal that are kind of high end. Jared, do you agree with that? And, and just tell us, how how you think Russell Wilson's going to do this season? Yeah, I, I like his spot in Denver here. I think, you know, you could definitely argue, and I think I'd argue, that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as a one-two punch are better than Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. But I, I think Wilson's pass-catching core in Denver is deeper 
than he had in Seattle. When you talk about Tim Patrick, we'll see what they get out of KJ Hamler, who you know tore his ACL early last season, but he, he should be back for this year. He's a, a speed guy, you know, someone uh, Russ might like hitting downfield. Um, better offensive line in Denver than they had in Seattle. And I think the biggest thing, I mean, how many years have we talked about the Seahawks being so run heavy under Pete Carroll? And especially mm-hmm. last season, they were such a slow paced offense. They easily ran the fewest offensive snaps in the NFL last year. So that hurt Wilson's production. I think in Denver now with Nathaniel Hackett coming over from Green Bay, you know, the Packers were top 11 in situation neutral pass rate each of the past three seasons. So I, yeah, I think Wilson has a chance to set a career high in passing attempts now that he's, you know, finally away from Seattle. And that's what we want, right? We want volume, especially when you have, you know, this many receivers. I think the KJ Hamler point is really interesting. If we assume he's healthy, you add him and his his long ball potential to, again, Cortland Sutton, Tim Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy. Um, I'm leaving Albert O out of the conversation. I mean, you know, I think Albert O is is fine. But the point is... He's got a lot of weapons, and you're right. I agree that that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, if you're just going two for two, are probably you know two better than the best two on Denver. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that improved offensive line is is really important too. And by the way, from a DFS standpoint, listen, pricing isn't out yet. Obviously, we don't know where Russ is going to be sort of cataloged among some of these elite guys, especially some of the guys who have the run potential, like your Josh Allen's of the world, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. They're all in that sort of upper tier conversation. I suspect Russell Wilson will be like the tier right below them from a pricing standpoint. And he starts at Seattle. Then he gets Houston at home, then San Francisco, tough defense there. And then he gets at Las Vegas. So just right off the bat from a DFS standpoint, Jared, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems to me that his value won't really be appreciated until maybe uh, after two or three of these games. So I think maybe you're getting some value by rostering Russell Wilson, even though he's not a running quarterback, you're getting value rostering him in DFS. I think so. And you look at the the AFC West, man, those are going to be shootouts in that division. So Wilson, just those six games, you know, two against the Raiders, two against the Chargers, two against the Chiefs, those are all going to be great spots to stack him up in DFS and then, you know, run it back with, with someone from the other team. I wanted to ask you about the AFC West because I, it's to me clearly the most if intriguing is a, is a vague word, but to me it's the most intriguing division in football this coming year. You got and I just you know this is in a betting show, but I just wanted to throw this out. But you got the Chiefs at plus one seventy five to win the division. You got the Chargers at plus two twenty five. I have a lot of respect for what the Chargers did, not just you know from a fantasy standpoint and their weapons outside. You know what they did on the defense in the draft, offensive line. It looks really yep. good. Denver's plus two fifty, so right in that Chargers zone, and the Raiders are at plus six fifty. I I think this could go so many different ways. And and I have kind of like a hot take that maybe the Chiefs actually miss the playoffs and, and, and it yeah. goes to Denver and the Chargers this year and Casey's on the outside looking in. I just kind of wanted to get your take on where you think the chips fall in the AFC West. So the Chargers are my Super Bowl pick. Um, I, I actually bet them right after they signed Khalil Mack. I, uh, mm. I bet them at 25 to one to win it all. I think they're down to like 18 or 20 to one now, but mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that, that'd be where I'd put my money if you're betting a division winner here. And I think you're right. I think Kansas city could definitely finish, you know, third in that division and end up missing the playoffs this season, just because, you know, all, all four of those teams, you know, I think have a chance to make the playoffs and even make a run in the playoffs. 
Yeah, the Chargers are plus 1400 now. At least that's on mm-hmm. DraftKings. So, yeah, you got it. Listen, and when it comes to stuff, some of the some of this stuff, you got to get the number early. I think that was a, a really yeah. smart play, Jared. Obviously, it's gone down almost by half. So let's talk. OK, we let's move on from quarterbacks, actually. I mean, I think Russell Wilson was the, the high profile guy there. There's some middling running backs that I think are worth talking about, especially when you're considering value. And Chase Edmonds is one of those that come to mind here. Now, he's with the Dolphins, with Raheem Mostert, with Sony Michelle. It's very interesting that they've completely revamped their running back core. The last few years, it's really been like sixth-round picks and undrafted free agents that have been showcased on the right. Miami Dolphins. So this is a completely new regime and, and a new sort of talent base at running back. And, you, of course, you've got Tyreek Hill there, too. An embarrassment of riches in, in a tough AFC. But let's start with Chase Edmonds. How do you think that's going to shake out? Yeah, so I'm sort of following the money when it comes to Miami's backfield. So you look at the contracts these three guys got, Edmonds, Mostert, and Michelle. Mostert got one year, $2.1 million with $1 million guaranteed. Sony Michelle got one year, $1.75 million with less than a million guaranteed. Chase Edmonds got a two-year deal worth a little over $12 million with a little over $6 million guaranteed. So you know, to me, it's pretty clear Miami – kind of went, went after Chase Edmonds. Um, and there was, a, there was an awesome note I saw from uh, Connor Allen of 4 for 4 earlier this week. So, you know, you talked about the new regime in Miami. Head coach Mike McDaniel comes from San Francisco. So we sort of expect that offense to look somewhat similar to what Kyle Shanahan has run with the Niners. The 49ers last year used zone blocking on the sixth most runs in the NFL. Chase Edmonds led the NFL in yards per carry in zone blocking schemes last season. So he looks like a perfect fit, perfect fit for that offense. It seems like he's the guy that McDaniel kind of pinpointed. It's like, I want him to lead this backfield. I think it's going to be a committee. Like Ch- Chase Edmonds is not built to handle, you know, 20 touches a game, but I do think Chase Edmonds is the guy in this Dolphins backfield that, that you want to be targeting. Yeah. And and speaking of the word targeting, I think it's interesting from a DFS standpoint, too, especially DraftKings, where you're getting one point per reception. I mean, Chase Edmonds was a guy that was catching a lot of passes and getting a lot of targets, particularly when he was healthy uh, with Arizona. Um, Is that something you think continues? Because when I look at Sony Michelle and Raheem Mostert, that's I'm not thinking pass catching running back. Right. I mean, I think Evans is going to lead the way in carries. I think he's definitely going to lead that backfield in targets. Now, he has pretty tough target competition when you talk about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and even Mike Kosicki. And, you know, Hill, Hill and Waddle, especially Waddle, um, at least last year, worked a lot of that short area stuff. Um, so I, I could see Edmonds, you know, targets per game actually dipping a bit from what he saw in Arizona last season. But I think the, the rushing volume is probably going to spike in Miami. Yeah, I like that call. OK, so let's move on to. Ronald Jones with the Chiefs. Now, I, I think Ronald Jones is, is somewhat of a, of a lottery ticket here. I want to get your opinion on this as well. I should note, though, that Jarek McKinnon just re-upped with the Kansas City Chiefs for a one-year deal. I, I think Jarek McKinnon is just, you know, historically just kind of underrated. People just don't think he's any good. And, he, you know, it turns out when he actually gets playing time, he's pretty good. Two questions here. What do you think of Ronald Jones? And how much does the Jarek McKinnon signing impact your perception of Ronald Jones? Well, I think the McKinnon signing impacts Clyde Edwards-Alaire more mm-hmm. than Ronald Jones because I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the guy you're hoping handles most of the pass catching work in the Kansas City backfield. And Ronald Jones has never been good in the passing game, even going back to his college days. Now, I I do think McKinnon is probably more of like an insurance signing. Um, you know, the, the Chiefs waited what three months into free agency to re-sign him. He he's about to turn 30 years old, and even last season, I mean, we all remember McKinnon having a nice playoff run for the Chiefs, but he did very little for them during the regular season. So I do think he's like third in this pecking order. 
Um, how it's going to shake out between Jones and Everett Zolaire, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm honestly not a big fan of either guy. I mean, I think Jones is probably the best pure runner in Kansas City now, but he's just been so unreliable as far, as far as, you know, ball security. And again, in the passing game, he's not very good. But I mean, Clyde Everett-Zolaire has been underwhelming through his first couple seasons too. So, I mean, it's definitely a backfield we're going to want to figure out and potentially invest in because it's, the, the, you know, the Chiefs offense. It's still going to be high scoring offense, even without Tyree Kill. But um, it, it's going to be a, you know, a training camp thing, a preseason thing that, you know, hopefully we can figure out how the touches will be divvied between these guys. Yeah, I totally agree there. So we're going to move on to wide receivers, some of the high-profile guys. You guys might be thinking, well, why are they talking about Chase Edmonds and Ronald Jones? Well, first of all, they are going to be relevant, especially from a DFS standpoint, because you're not going to be able to pay up for all the great receivers and all the great running backs and all the great quarterbacks. So I think the question becomes, you know, when you're building your lineups week one, week two, week three, where can you find value? And I think, to your point, Ronald Jones in a two-down role, you know, depending on how this offense is sort of orchestrated this year, it might be a little different without Tyreek Hill. Maybe they lean on the running game a little bit more with, uh, you know, a decent offensive line. So I think Ronald Jones just being a two down back could have some impact. And who knows, you know, maybe week one, week two, he's 4,700 bucks or something. And so does he have touchdown equity? Yes. Can he break one off in, in that offense in particular? Yeah. So again, these are, I think, are guys to consider in your DFS lineups when the time comes. But let's talk about some of the high profile guys, Jared. Let's talk about Devontae Adams. Goes from the Packers, obviously, to the Raiders. Um, this is a high-profile signing. He gets to kind of reunite with his college buddy, Derek Carr. Derek Carr, I think, is very much under the radar. When we I, we had Chris Towers on from CBS Sports last week, and I talked about Derek Carr. We talked about Derek Carr as an undervalued guy, both in redraft and in DFS, two QB leagues, things of that nature. <laughs> what do you think about Devontae this year? I mean, I, I think it'd be tough to say that the move from Green Bay to, to Vegas isn't a downgrade for his fantasy stock. I mm-hmm. don't think it's a huge downgrade, though. I mean, I, I'm with you. I think Derek Carr is a solid quarterback. I mean, he was top seven in the NFL last year in passing yards, completion rate, and yards per attempt. And that was without Devonta Adams. Um, the, the, you know, the bigger concern for me, probably with Adams, is what happens to his target share with, you know, I think tougher target competition in Vegas and Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. But man, I I just I, I'm kind of a believer in like you know great great players earn their targets and you know you know Waller and Renfro are probably going to suffer more than Devonta Adams with this move. Um, I think his target volume is going to be fine. To me, Adams is still a top five wide receiver. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I think again from a DFS standpoint, I wonder because I agree with everything you just said, but I, I feel like. What you just said was you still like him, but you don't necessarily love him, at least not as right. much as you did in Green Bay, because I think he'd in Green Bay, he'd be a clear cut, like probably top two or top three receiver here. We might be thinking in redraft leagues, maybe he's maybe in the four or five range in some people's eyes. So with that in mind, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's crazy to some people. But I think the larger point from a DFS standpoint for me is he's going to be priced really high. And, and I just yeah. wonder if I, I don't think I want to bite there. You know what I mean? I think game one, they play the Chargers. Maybe I do want to bite there, or maybe I want to pivot and go on, on to somebody like a Darren Waller or maybe even a Hunter Renfro or something crazy like a Josh Jacobs and just assume it's it's going to be you know a few uh, touchdowns you know run in there. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to want to pay the price tag for Devontae Adams, but I do think a lot of people will. I think they'll be intrigued enough mm-hmm. to play Devontae Adams. So I think I think he's super, super interesting, but obviously still a talent. Yeah, I mean, we'll see where he's priced. Like to me, like Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase are the clear top three fantasy wide receivers heading into the season. Then it's like Stefan Diggs, 
Fonte Adams, uh, C.D. Lamb is in that mix for me. So he's kind of in that second tier now. Um, yeah. I, I do like that he's going to be in all these um, AFC West shootouts. I think that's going to help his, you know, his weekly upside for, for DFS at least. 100%. So speaking of second tier, or maybe third tier, I'd like to get your sort of redraft opinion on Tyreek Hill. How do we feel about Tyreek Hill this year, going, of course, from the Chiefs <laughs> to the Miami Dolphins, led by Tua? Kind of the same deal here with Tyreek, as we talked about with Adams, like I think it's obviously a quarterback downgrade. It's probably a downgrade in, you know, total offensive situation. You talk about, you know, Andy Reid to me is one of the best play callers in the NFL. Mike McDaniels, you know, a total unknown, at least as a head coach. Um, but just with De- like with Devonta Adams, like you know, Tyreek Hill is such a great player. He's going to be fine. Um, I-, I think people think of him as like this, you know, guy that relies on deep balls. His average depth of target in Kansas City last year was middle of the pack. It was 11.0 yards. That was 43rd out of 84 qualifying wide receivers. He does a lot of stuff in the short range of the field, you know, get the ball in his hands. I think that's where he's going to be good in Miami with Tua, who is accurate on their shorter range passes. I also think, too, with Mike McDaniel, and we just saw what Debo did as a ball carrier in San Francisco. I don't think Tyreek's going to get that type of ball carrying volume, but I do think McDaniel's going to, you know, want to get him the ball on the ground one to, you know, two or three times a game. Yeah, and the, and the truth is, if his A dot goes down, which it did last year, you know, in terms of Tyreek Hill, that's okay, right? I mean, the, yep. what he can do after the catch is huge, and and it kind of like it's a nice segue to AJ Brown, who I want to talk about next, because the, some of these receivers are doing so much after the catch that you almost prefer the A dot to be down, especially when you have a guy like Tua as your quarterback. Like, you know, no offense to Tua, but I just don't think the deep ball is going to be there for him. He doesn't throw the ball deep anyway. I think he was, you know, bottom five in terms of uh, deep ball attempts last year. So um, I don't really have a problem with that, I guess is my, my larger point. A.J. Brown, Titans to the Eagles. This one's really interesting. I'd like to get your take on how you think he's going to do production targets do they go I mean he's coming from Tennessee so do they go down I'm, I'm not 100% sure I'd like to get your take there and I'd also like to hear how you think that affects Devonte Smith so to me the big question in Philadelphia heading into this season is what their run pass split is going to be because last year I have I have never seen a team shift like the Eagles did midway through last season so over the first six weeks of the season they were the fifth pass heaviest offense if you look at just neutral situations so yeah that's when down and distance and the scoreboard isn't impacting play calling so they were the fifth pass heaviest offense through week six from week seven on they were the fourth run heaviest offense they totally shifted gears now i i think you you know make that big trade for aj brown after drafting Devonte smith in the first round last year like i think they want to shift back towards the pass this season, the big question is just, you know, how much more do they shift back? Because, you know, to me, if Brown's going to finish as a wide receiver one, you know, they're going to, the Eagles are going to have to shift quite a bit because it is, it is tough target competition. You mentioned Devonte Smith there, Dallas Goddard, I think is still going to see his fair share of targets. Mm-hmm. So that's the big question for me in Philadelphia. And that's going to impact Brown's fantasy value. And I think that's a really good reason to maybe be cautious in drafting AJ Brown in your, in your redraft leagues, but maybe you spike with him in DFS. I mean, I, like for example, He's at Detroit week one, Minnesota, then at Washington, Jacksonville, at Arizona. That's his first five weeks. Then he gets Dallas at home. Those are all games before the week seven bye for them. Now, granted, he could just be great in those six games. But the point is, if you don't want to take like I think this is kind of the beauty of like having DFS in, in, in you know, year long fantasy leagues is that, you know, if you miss out on A.J. Brown in your draft because you just don't see the value as much as like the, the guy that's drafting next to you. 
I mean, I think he could have some big games, and that includes week one at Detroit. I mean, I, I absolutely think that could be a huge game because we don't know what's coming from Philly. I think people mm-hmm. will want to play Jalen Hurts. It's just a question of, well, do you want to pair him with A.J. Brown? Maybe you'll play Jalen Hurts naked. But, I, you know, again, th- that's up to the user. But I think it's really interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see how he does in those first few weeks because he can expose those offenses for sure, or those defenses for sure. Yeah, I mean, Br- Brown has been uh... – perfect GPP play throughout his career so far and you know in Tennessee and I think that's going to continue in Philly I, I don't think he's going to finish you know among the top 10 wide receivers and targets this season but I I do think there's going to be games where he gets you know seven eight nine targets and he does have that big playability and I, I'm just buying this Eagles offense in general I think again yeah. AJ Brown Devontae Smith Dallas Goddard that's a really strong top three and I, I'm a believer in Jalen Hurts I think you know, he's still improving as a passer and he's you know already one of the best running quarterbacks in the NFL I'll be reaching, and we talked about Jalen Hurts quite a bit last week with Chris Towers. I'll be reaching a, a bit early for Jalen Hurts because uh, I just, the, just with what he can do in the passing game with the core that he has and what we yep. know he can do with his, his uh, rushing. I mean, I think it was last year, I think it was, I'm going off memory, nine rushes per game. That was his average. And that, that includes some time with a sprained ankle. So I just think the sky is the limit from a fantasy standpoint uh, with Jalen Hurts. Real quick question here, though. NFC East, who wins it? I'm going Dallas still. I, I think they're the most well-rounded team. I, I think, you know, Philly would be a close second for me, but um, I'd, I'd go with Dallas. I'm not, I'm not sure what the odds say for that division. Yeah, Dallas is still a, a pretty big favorite, but yeah, I, I I think Dallas, listen, I actually think it's going to be Philly that wins the NFC East because I think Dallas is leaking oil a little bit, but I, I do think it's somewhat of a coin flip. You're probably getting some value betting Philly because yep. I, I do know that Dallas is still like a decent favorite there. So listen, we're going to talk about a few more receivers and we're going to talk about a a couple tight ends. Again, fresh faces in new places, guys that have shifted teams here. But first, we're going to get a message from our partners. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
And we are back with Jared Smola. We're talking about fresh faces in new places. We just got finished talking about A.J. Brown and what I think is going to be a high-flying Eagle squad. Let's go to the Browns, though. I don't know how high-flying they're going to be, but they have Amari Cooper. They have a huge question at quarterback. Amari Cooper obviously comes from the Cowboys to the Cleveland Browns. Jared, what say you on Amari Cooper? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the quarterback question, and that that's the big thing here. Like, you know, how – how many games, if any, are the Browns going to get out of Deshaun Watson this season? Because as it stands now, Jacoby Brissett would be their guy. You know, I'm assuming Baker Mayfield is gone. Um, so it would be Jacoby Brissett if Watson misses any games or if he misses the season. Um, so that, that's the big question there. It's, it's a great opportunity for Cooper, though, from a volume perspective, I think. The Browns lost a combined 229 targets from mm. last year with the departures of Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, Richard Higgins, and then you know Odell Beckham spent the first half of the season with Cleveland. So that was 44% of the Browns' targets from last year that are gone. So I, I do think Cooper is going to come in and you know be the clear alpha there. Um, maybe even set a career high in targets. Um, it just you know again it comes down to what kind of quarterback play he's going to get. Yeah, let's assume for the sake of argument that for most of the season they have a competent quarterback, whoever that may be. Maybe it's Baker, probably not. Uh, maybe Jacoby Brissett plays okay. You know, maybe it's Deshaun Watson. Who knows? Uh, I'm just curious if it's not Amari Cooper, and we're talking. Let's say we're talking DFS as like a flyer. I, you know, Donovan yep. Peoples Jones comes to mind. Is he a guy you'd speculate on on the Browns? It's just kind of like a a, a low priced, a low rent guy, and you know, week one, two, or three. You know, depending on the matchup. Yeah, I like uh, Peoples Jones. He's a guy I liked coming out of college, and I think he's flashed through his first couple seasons here. Um, and I just think he—if you're talking, you know, DFS GPPs—I do like David Bell as well. Their rookie, I think, you know, he's probably going to be their starting slot receiver. I just think I don't—I don't think he's going to offer the same weekly ceiling that Peoples Jones is going to offer because you know DPJ is more of the downfield threat for them. I, I also think um, there's been a lot of talk of Cleveland look, looking to add a wide receiver still. You know. Um, Julio Jones still out there. Will Fuller still out there. So you know, I think there's a chance that Peoples Jones isn't isn't a starter come week one. Very professional setup, Jared, for another great segue because we're going to talk about Allen Robinson from the Bears to the Rams. But the reason I think that's a great segue is because Odell Beckham is still out there, and there were yeah. there were reports today that he is in conversations with the um, Los Angeles Rams to to re up with them. Um, presumably on a one or two year deal coming off that ACL injury. I don't, he's not going to be ready week one or week two. I think that's probably why everybody's just kind of holding off on Odell Beckham, but we have Allen Robinson there now, Def, definitely a different type of receiver. Um, what type of impact do you think Allen Robinson has there as presumably the number two receiver? I think so. Yeah. I, I don't think Odell Beckham's going to be much of a factor this season. Uh, it, you know, if you read, so if you read the quotes in that article from today, from the Rams front office, they're, they were basically saying like, we're not going to sign this guy yet because he's just not going to be a factor early in the season. Like he's a guy who maybe the tail end of the regular season into the playoffs could help us. Cause you remember he, he Beckham tore his ACL in the super bowl. Um, so like the nine month timetable puts him into what, like October or November before he'd be ready to go. So I do think Robinson's going to be, the number two guy in Los Angeles, and he got a pretty nice contract from the Rams. The concern with A-Rob, he, he just wasn't good last year. And I know the situation was, you know, rough with, you know, the Bears offense and their quarterback play. Um, but you look at, you know, stuff like pro football focus receiving grades, yards per route run, you know, he was in the bottom 20 among wide receivers. And his teammate, Darnell Mooney, was much better in those efficiency metrics. So you know, my question is like, you know, is, is Robinson just kind of past his peak now on the decline? He's only... 29 in August. So I, I kind of want to bet on a bounce back, especially since he's going to a much, much, much better offense now. Um, but his his 2021 20, season it was definitely concerning. 
Yeah, I'm definitely very intrigued by, from a DFS standpoint, what Allen Robinson's price might be in those first few weeks. Like, how much is the market, and I'm talking like DraftKings or FanDuel, for example, respecting Allen Robinson? Because to your point, when, when we talk about the metrics last year, you know, I don't know that it warrants much respect in terms of just like being high priced, because if, if he's a guy that's like, you know, 5,400 or 5,600, you know, all, you know, right out of the gate, I think there's it's certainly worth maybe throwing him in a couple of lineups, a couple of stacks, something like that. But, yeah, you know, it's really too bad. Right. He finally gets a quarterback, but he's, yeah. you know, almost 30 years old. I mean, this guy literally hasn't had a good quarterback. Even in college, his quarterback was Christian Hackenberg, if I recall yeah. correctly. So, yeah. you know. Tough scene there, but I'm hoping for the best for him uh, with the the Rams. Another guy that I think is really intriguing, Jared, Marquise Brown, going from Lamar Jackson and company to Kyler Murray, the Arizona Cardinals. I think this is a pretty good spot for him, especially when you look at the the receiving core that they have and, and Kyler Murray's deep ball, pretty great. Jared, what, what do you think about Marquise Brown? I, I, I love this spot for Marquise Brown. Um, so there's there's obviously opportunity for him. Christian Kirk leaves behind 103 targets from a year ago. Chase Evans leaves behind 53 targets. And then, of course, you have DeAndre Hopkins suspended for the first six games of the season. So even like right out of the gate, I think Marquise Brown's going to play a big role in this offense. He has some chemistry with Kyler Murray. They spent um, a couple seasons together at Oklahoma. Uh, Marquise Brown went for over 1,300 yards in his final season with, with Kyler Murray. And then, and then you mentioned the, the deep ball stuff, which is obviously a big part of Marquise Brown's game. Only 27% of Marquise Brown's targets of 20-plus yards downfield were deemed catchable last year by pro football focus. So yeah, that was obviously an issue for Marquise Brown. Kyler Murray last year, the best PFF passing grade on deep balls, the second best adjusted completion rate on deep balls. So you know, if if nothing else, Brown's getting a big upgrade, I think, in the deep passing game, which is kind of, I think, the best facet of his game. Yeah, I, and I look at their schedule early, and they get Kansas City at home. That That's the mm-hmm. biggest total of the week in week one. It's I believe it's 53. And then week two, they're at Las Vegas. So, I mean, I think that's your that's your case study on Marquise Brown. I mean, it's a sam- small sample size, but more importantly, I think it's your case study on Kyler Murray because I think a lot yeah. of people are down on Kyler Murray, and it makes sense, right? The last two seasons, second half of the season, it, it's not just the injuries. It looks like they've sort of game-planned him out of being a successful quarterback. But, you know, and Jared, maybe you disagree with that. I'm not sure. But the point is, I think these first two weeks, it could be like another kind of third coming out party for Kyler Murray. I do want to ask you about that, though. When it comes to Kyler Murray, have they have they sort of schemed him properly and figured him out? I mean, I know he still can be a dynamic quarterback. My question for you is, can he do it on a consistent level? Because it doesn't look like it right now. It just seems like that Kingsbury offense gets stale over the second half of seasons and like the defense mm-hmm. make, makes adjustments against it. And then Kingsbury doesn't know how to react to that. Um, and you mentioned the injuries, you know, Kyler's dealt with those two and he is an undersized guy. So that's definitely concerning. Their their offensive line is probably the biggest concern for me. It was pretty bad last year and they didn't do anything to upgrade it in the off season. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm still buying Murray and this offense again. I just think the weapons are there. I love the, the addition of Marquise Brown. I'm still, Kind of excited about Rondell Moore, even though last year was kind of disappointing. Um, but I, yeah, I'm I'm buying this Cardinals offense. 
Yeah, fair enough. And, and certainly in the first couple of weeks, I mean, he will, he, will, he will probably be chalky. And I'm talking about both mm-hmm. Marquise Brown and Kyler Murray. Um, but I think it's definitely something to consider. That first game against Kansas City, listen, there's going to be a lot of people on that game. There's other games to pivot to, including that Chargers game that we spoke of. There's three or four games to pivot to that have pretty high totals. But that one is going to have a lot of intrigue, and there's going to be a lot of ownership on both sides of the ball there. Um, last receiver, before we get into a couple tight ends, Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, I can tell you, uh, Chris Towers and I talked about him quite a bit last week. And and the conclusion that I came to was just kind of by process of elimination, Juju appears to be the guy, especially early in the season, that just might load up on the targets, regardless of whether the efficiency has been down. Um, But I wanted to get your thoughts here. Yeah, of course, uh, you know, completely remade Chiefs wide receiver core with Tyreek Hill out of there. And then they add Juju and they also had Marquez Valdez scaling and then they draft Sky Moore. So that that's you know, a big question fantasy owners are going to have to to answer this summer is, you know, what that packing order is going to look like. I mean, Juju, th- there has never been a more Jekyll and Hyde start to an NFL career yeah. than what we've seen from Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, he scored the eighth most PPR points by a wide receiver through the first two seasons of a career in NFL history. Um, and then he's just been bad the past three years. And, you know, it's it's been an iffy quarterback playing in Pittsburgh and Juju's had injuries that he's dealt with. But even if you look at, you know, a stat like yards per route run, like Juju's teammates have been more efficient than him in Pittsburgh. So that's definitely a concern. Um, but I think he, he, to me, is best equipped to take over that number one wide receiver role in Kansas City. I mean, Sky Moore is a rookie coming from the MAC. And then Marcus Vallis-Scantling throughout his career in Green Bay has, you know, kind of just been a deep ball specialist. Um, so I, I think Juju right now would be my pick to lead those wide receivers and targets. Yeah. Any thoughts there on Sky Moore? I mean, I think the, the easy argument there and the argument that I would make is, well, he's a rookie from Western Michigan, probably not going to be super high impact in this offense, you know, the first few weeks. Um, yep. To me, that just and I might be wrong, obviously, but but. To me, that just really gives Juju that bump because you said, you know, Mark, Mark, MVS is not exactly a target monster. Neither is McCole Hardman. I, I just, other than Travis Kelsey, who's going to, you know, certainly benefit a little bit here too, I, I think it's Juju's. Yeah, kind of by process of elimination for me, at least at least out of the gate. I mean, I do, to me, Sky Moore was a great looking prospect, um, you know, coming into the league, got round two draft capital, landed in a great spot with the Chiefs, obviously. Like, I, I, I do think he can make an impact this season. And again, Juju and MVS both have their warts. Like, I'm not, I don't want to go all in on those guys. So I think especially as we get, you know, to the second half of the season, I think you could see Sky Moore make a pretty big impact. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, let's talk about a couple tight ends now, Jared. Let's start with, speaking of enigmas, I mean, you talked about <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde with Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, this is an enigma and a Jekyll and Hyde to a much lesser degree than, than Juju, of course. But Evan Ingram looks like a pretty good talent. And I don't know what it is. I mean, to me, when I watch him, I'm like, the kid's just not focused. I mean, I know that's like a yeah. really like arbitrary thing for me to say, but I don't know how to explain the talent and just the not fulfilling of the talent. So where are we at with Evan Ingram, who goes, of course, from Daniel Jones and company to the Jacksonville Jaguars to join Christian Kirk, another new teammate on that team? Yeah, I, I really did not want to be in on Evan Ingram again this season because I've you know, been a buyer for most of his career, and it's, it's been frustrating. But uh, first of all, if you get in somebody's early fantasy drafts, he is going so late. like He's outside the top 25 tight ends in ADP. So it's tough for me not to buy at that price for a guy, like you said, who you know, has flashed talent. He's a first-round pick. He's a big-time athlete. Still only 28 years old in September. 
So he's still, you know, not at an age where I'm worried about him dropping off. And I, I like this landing spot in Jacksonville. Um, you know, Jacksonville only gave him a one-year deal, but he got $9 million. So it was a pretty mm-hmm. big investment. You look at Doug Peterson, you know, he's the new head coach for the Jags. You look at his time with the Eagles, and you know, Eagles tight ends averaged a 32% target share in those five seasons um, that, that Peterson was in Philadelphia. Now they had Zach Ertz and Dallas got it for part of that time. So that definitely, you know, pushed targets to that position. But I, I do think the tight end is a big part of Peterson's offense. And again, the fact that they gave Evan Ingram 9 million bucks this year um, kind of tells me they want him to be a big part of that passing game. Totally agree. And I love that 32% stat. I mean, that's pretty significant, right? It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. The, the, the league average is around 20%. Right. So yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, looking at the schedule, especially on the front end, it doesn't look super appetizing. They do play Washington week one, and I, I don't know exactly what to expect from that defense. Uh, then it's Indy week two, at the Chargers week three, at Philadelphia. It eases up after that a little bit. But, yeah, I think Evan Ingram's really, really interesting, especially from a DFS standpoint. Again, like, do you want to count – like, Jared, you've been burned by Evan Ingram. Do you <laughs> want to count on him for, you know, 17, 18 <laughs> weeks, or do you want to count on him for some, you know, spot duty, you know, week one or week five or week eight – I think he is kind of the prototypical guy that, listen, if you don't want to get a share of him in your redraft leagues, then, you know, come over to DFS, come over to DraftKings yeah. and, and you know, just just play him. I, I like that play. Um, Noah Fant is the other tight end that we want to talk about here, Jared. Goes, of course, from the Broncos. Man, I, I'd love to see him on the Broncos with with what we, you know, with Russell Wilson and these four yeah. receivers that we talked about. But he goes from the Broncos to the Seahawks. So we don't really have a quarterback there. I'd love to get your thoughts on the quarterback situation, but more importantly, how do you think Noah Fant's going to do on his new team? Yeah, the quarterback situation is not good. That's kind of the extent of my, my thoughts on Seattle's quarterback situation. Um, I mean, I, I love Noah Fant, the player. I mean, you know, former first-round pick, elite athlete. He actually has the 24th most PPR points by a tight end through his first three seasons in NFL history, so it's been a wow. good start to his career. Um, but I, like like you were talking about, just a tough situation in Seattle. You have the quarterback issues. You have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who are really tough target competition. And then again, I mentioned this before, but you know, last year Seahawks were 32nd in offensive plays. They were 24th in situation neutral pass rate, 31st in pass attempts. And that was with Russell Wilson for most of the season. Now that it's going to be Drew Locke or Geno Smith, like that, that's going to remain a run heavy offense. Um, so it's kind of tough to get excited about Noah Fant in Seattle, at least for this year. Yeah, and you know the first couple of weeks of the season, he's got Denver, he's got at San Francisco, not great there, and then of course it eases up Atlanta and, De- and Detroit. So the one thing I do want to stress, and we talked about this a little, Jared, when it came to the game theory sort of uh, off-season series things we were doing. Uh, Andrew Erickson came on, Josh Larkey, T.J. Hernandez, a bunch of others. But you know we're going to get in the first couple of weeks like. People are just going to determine that this is the way it is with certain yep. teams, with certain offenses and defenses, offensive lines, matchups. And we know that's not the case. So what I want to stress to the listener is, you know, just because you've got a two week sample size of, yep. let's say, Noah Fant having no production. Now, he's probably a bad example to bring up because he, he truly doesn't really have a quarterback. But with that said, you know, use people's perceptions against them when it comes to, you know, just sample sizes that aren't really legitimate. And so I think maybe Seattle's a good example of that. Yeah. They're going to get roasted in the first couple of weeks. Like they are like, I don't know what the, the lines are, <laughs> but they're losing yeah. at home to Denver and they will lose at San Francisco. To me, that, that could be, a, you know, double digits in both of those. But then they get Atlanta at home and at Detroit, they get a chance to rebound. That's when you want to look at some of these guys who are like, bargain pricing because of what the perception is of them at that point. 
Well, I, I think that point about not getting too anchored to what we see over the first couple of weeks of the season is perfect for this show because I think it especially applies to these guys on new teams. Right? I think it's not surprising if any of these guys get off to slow starts just because mm-hmm. they're learning new offenses, they're playing with new quarterbacks. Like it could be a slow start for some or all of these guys, but I think you know they they should get better throughout the season. Yeah, that's a really good point. Being on a new team, there is an adjustment period for most of these guys. So pounce on them when the perception is, hey, maybe it's just not going to work out for that guy on on his new team because um, that's probably a misperception. Jared, you're you're doing so much at Draft Sharks. Can can you maybe tell us what you got anything coming up soon? Like anything you're putting out? I know on Twitter. I mean, again, if you don't follow Jared, it's at Smola D S S M O L A D S. I know you put out a lot of great content there, but where else can people find your content? And do you have anything coming up soon? Yeah, so we're actually just wrapping up all of our 2022 player profiles on DraftSharks. That's where a lot of these nuggets I've been posting on Twitter are coming from. Because I'm I'm doing deep dives into you know all these teams and all these players. So um, yeah, so these these profiles, I think they're the most detailed season previews you're going to find, and we have them for like 250 players. So basically, any draftable player you're going to find a profile on DraftSharks. Th- those are for our members, but we're also posting some free ones, so you can check those out on the site. And then we also have our full rankings and projections up. They've actually been up for a few months now. We post them uh, before the NFL draft and just just constantly keep them updated because I'm you know nowadays you know we're, we're drafting you know starting in like February and it goes right through you know up until week one so our projections are always up and they're always updated I love that up and updated that that second part is pretty critical because you, you know yes. sometimes you don't know when people are updating their content it sounds like you uh Jared and the guys over at draft sharks are doing that quite often so listen that that closes our show with Jared Smola fresh faces new places we are going to come back uh, to you right next week with another football show with another kind of, hey, let's let's talk about some of these guys that we're actually maybe going to be rostering on our DFS squads week one, week two, week three, kind of the high impact guys early. We're going to maybe get into some best ball stuff as well. So tune in. We'll have another for, uh, show for you next week. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, you. That was fun. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.